and everybody pointing fingers at everybody. And, you know, the old story about pointing a finger, three are pointing back. That's why pastors preach like this. You, you know, (laughs) uh, notice that, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, But uh, as we begin, uh, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 10 as our uh, series of verses. I'll be getting to those. I'll be reading through one or one section at a time and and, uh, going over it. We're going to get through the whole chapter 10, which is uh, a lot for me, but it, most of it is self-explanatory, but I want to keep the full context of it. So, uh, Acts chapter 10, would you pray with me as we begin? Fathers, we open Your Word. We ask You to open our hearts and our minds through Your Holy Spirit. You would teach us, guide us, and direct us that each of us would receive from You, through Your Word, those things that we need today to, uh, to cause our walk to grow and to draw closer to You. And those aren't the same things for each of us. And again, it's always amazing how your word can minister so many different directions at one time. And so we come to you with confidence as we open your word that you will indeed open our hearts and our minds to direct our paths. In Jesus' name, amen. So looking at Acts chapter 10, uh, you need to understand uh, a little bit of, of st- stuff that's been going on as we as we get into this. Um uh, the first, uh, the idea of racism is is interesting because when you start to study scripture, I don't know how familiar how familiar you are with ICR Institute for Creation Research and and different groups like that 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 talk about uh, creation and 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 our heritage and all of this. And the reality is that as you go to scripture, you find that there is no racism because we all have the same father and mother as far as our ancestral beginning goes we are all of adam and eve and within the framework of the dna of adam and eve was all the variations that we have today and and that just shows you how god's amazing creativity so within the framework, instead of going, you know, there's, you know, and people get caught up on different things, uh, Caucasian or Asian or black, or, and, and, and one that's been added in the last uh, couple of decades, Australoid, which is the aborigines of Australia. They're a unique group of people. The reason why we have all these unique groups of people is, is really goes back probably to the Tower of Babel when they were all separated by each going their own language because they, God was making a judgment call on them and separated them and pushed them out. And it's interesting, too, at the same time, by the way, that they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing anyway. What they had decided to do was to build this huge tower, chapter, what is it, chapter 10, I think it is, uh, this huge tower to, to up into the heavens so that they would be like God. Does that sound familiar? Adam, Eve, does this sound familiar? They would be like God. And they were gathered around. They, they said this will become the hub of our world was what they were hoping to do. And everything would gather around this central point. What were they supposed to be doing? They were supposed to be going out to the outer parts of the world to establish domain and, and rule over it. And instead, they were sticking too real close to home, you know. So, Adam and Eve is our, our parents. It says, you know, you know, in the beginning, you know, when God was doing the creation, verse 26, chapter 1, it said that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so there's the beginning of humanity. So there is the human race. And within the framework of that, though, there is different ethnicities, uh, ethnic groups, if you will. Um, I was looking, there's 190 plus different nations. There's over 650 basic ethnic groups, and if you go and break them down as to other into the more detail and get a little bit more narrow on your your criterion, uh, you have thousands. And the, there's nothing that the scripture says that there's anything wrong with that. That's what is the product of of expansion of the human race, and we become groups of people. 
according to where we live, uh, to, to, the, the, to our traditions, to our ancestral uh, traditions, this type of thing, and, and it comes up certain things. But anyway, uh, the idea is, is that we are the human race. So I'm not going to be using the word racism in, a, in the message today uh, in that context. Plus, you're not going to find it in the Bible. Does that mean that all the different groups were getting along? No. And, and, and there's a guy that I have, I, I looked this up in multiple ways because it caught me off guard. Uh, um, have you heard the phrase in reference to creation and or history of man, creaturism? It's something that was, I had seen it a couple times, but I'd never bothered to look at it. And creaturism is a term that goes back to where? The Garden of, of, Adam, of Eden and Adam and Eve. When they chose to, to sin, that's creaturism. In other words, the creature taking the position of the Creator and saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I think will be good. And we become determined what is right and what is wrong. What is good, what is bad. And it does it from our point of view, or even my point of view. And as a result, that's called creaturism. I thought it was an interesting phrase. And the man that, that, that was teaching this particular uh, video, his name was Dr. Uh, Carl Ellis, and it says, what is the root of racism? And he says the root of racism begins in the Garden of Eden, creaturism. Man and you know, deciding what is good, what is bad. And that's exactly what he says in, uh, through Paul in Romans is going to happen. When man gets decadent, he, he'll start to rule and, 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 and end up worshiping the creation rather than the creator. That's creaturism. I thought it was interesting. Because when I saw creaturism up to that point, I thought it was some kind of animism and just all the worship of animals or something like that. But it's the idea that I'm in charge. And so as a result of creaturism, we have different manifestations. And the most interesting, I thought, was meism. This wasn't from him, but this was from a, 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 a separate story that I found in uh, R.C. Sproul's website. But... Uh, and I can only remember just this part of it, but I'm driving down the freeway and, I'm, and I, it's 55 or 65 miles an hour and I get behind somebody that's going like 50 miles an hour. And there's traffic in the other lane that's going, so I'm stuck behind this person. And I say, oh, what a jerk. Don't they know what the speed limit is? If they can't keep up with the traffic, they shouldn't be on the freeway. You know, have you ever done that? No. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, then as soon as, as it looks like you have a shot at getting past them, this car goes just like a jet stream past you. And you say, what an idiot, he's going too fast. And then I get into the lane and get to up to 65 miles an hour because I'm staying at the speed limit. And I get back into the, 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 the slow lane and, and I move on. And uh, What a good boy am I. That's meism. I'm doing it right, they're doing it wrong. That's what it is. It's that, it's that simple. And, and I thought that was a good analogy. That wasn't what he was trying to point out in his little story, but it worked for me. And, and so I saw that, and then, and then the other one was culturalism, where your culture decides what's right and wrong. Not God's Word, but your culture. We've seen that, and we've been talking about that from, our, from the pulpit this summer. We've talked about homosexuality. We've talked about gender and transgender issues. We've talked about uh, the, the abortion issues. We've talked about all of these different things that are against God's Word, which are acceptable and even getting voice of law on their side in the same framework of our culture. That's culturism. Uh, the idea of sexism. Where, and we've talked about this thing, you know, where, where people, uh, depending on how you look at it, sexism can be, uh, you know, from a, a gender issue uh, in, in our culture, all the different things going on. Or there's a biblical picture of what sexism is, how the sexes are to be defined. When, when the church defines sexes the way God defines them, we're called narrow-minded, uh, monogamous, uh, all sorts of, of other issues 
because we chose this, okay? And we don't choose culturism. So here we are. This is, this is basically this idea of uh, creaturism is all these different manifestations of it. And it includes the way we look at different people. Because our cultural groups, we might look at people from our cultural breakdown and say, oh, those people are backward. Or they need my way of thinking, our culture speaking. And so we need to take this form of thinking to them. And if necessary, impose it on them so that they can be happier in the long run. There's a lot to, that goes along with this, and it's interesting that the Bible doesn't support any of it. The Bible says there is a truth, and that is all that, that matters. There is a truth, and then there's untruth, and truth is what you look for and follow, and you get it from the Word of God. We've con- continually said, every, I think every single message this summer has said again, this is God-breathed. So we look at it, we listen to it, we read it, and we say, Lord, open my eyes. Because there is so much to know about God, even into what He's revealed, let alone what He hasn't showed us yet, we realize that it'll take a lifetime and I might know a little bit. Most people find the older they get in their Christian walk, the less they really know. Even though we know more than we did, we know less than we, we, because we realize there's so much more to see. And we realize we're going to have all eternity to explore that. But anyway, the, the idea is, is, is looking at it and, and saying that, that man's sin is the root of racism. What does that tell you about racism then? It's a sin. It's missing the mark. It does not hit where God wants it to hit. Okay? And I don't know the different backgrounds that you have. Uh, I know where I grew up. And Santa Barbara, a lot of people look at Santa Barbara because it's a very wealthy community. And they see the beaches and the big houses on the cliffs and all those kinds of things. And what they don't see is the turmoil underneath that. And it was there the whole time I was growing up there. And we didn't have a lot of black people, but we had a huge population of Latinos. Well, Latino wasn't being used then. There was the Hispanics. There was actually the Mexicans. And there, and, and there were the Spanish. And they weren't the same. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a dumb little kid, you know. I couldn't figure out how come my little sister could have Tommy Venegas as her godfather, and yet we didn't like Mexicans. Until I was told that Tommy Venegas wasn't a Mexican. He was a Spaniard, and he was descended from the Spanish, and therefore he's white. I, you know, you look at that and... And and realized, and in in our in the Santa Barbara community, the Mexican people were looked at as substandard by whites and Spanish, and they were treated that way as well. And they were even pushed into areas to where most of them would end up in the same school. They couldn't practice segregation; didn't quite work in California, but they they pushed it that way. Kathy and I even experienced that over in Tulare. Schools that were primarily Hispanic. Uh, we've experienced it a little bit in San Jose, where the, my daughter went to a school because of the neighborhood that we were in, where the teacher spoke Spanish first and then explained things in English. My daughter learned Spanish that way, but, but you know, it was, you know, we, we tend to do this. Why? Why? Because they're not like us. We don't share the same cultural backgrounds. We don't share the same things in, in, in cultural and traditional values. And as a result, we find ourselves separating ourselves from people. That's not what God wants. It's not the way God put it together. But He likes to see His diversity ministering one to another, coming together. 
one, uh, again, out of R.C. Sproul's uh, little uh, devotionals, it says, the first thing to understand in this discussion is that there is only one race, the human race. Caucasians, Africans, Asians, Indians, Arabs, and Jews are not different races. Rather, they are different ethnicities of the human race. All human beings have the same physical characteristics with minor variations, of course. More importantly, all human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. Going back to the verse I started with from from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to lay down His life for us. The world obviously includes all ethnic groups. So, starting with that as our foundation, okay, what I wanted to look at is, is the spread of the gospel through the book of Acts. And it is kind of interesting to see what was happening. Hello? And uh, it was, you know, in Acts chapter 1, remember uh, verse, <laughs> verse 8. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I'm really, really tired and that just blurped out. <laughs> I normally ignore those things. Um, in verse 8 of, of chapter 1, it tells us very clearly, the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, through Jesus, it was saying, actually, my witness, I want you to be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When he gave the Great Commission, he says, I want you to go to all the world. Okay, keep that in mind as we look at this. So, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see the foundation of the church. We've gone through this a couple of weeks ago. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit comes with power and authority. There's an amazing miracle that happens. The Holy Spirit moves on the people. There's a speaking in tongues that says people from so many different areas were hearing their own language. Now, I don't know what you believe or don't believe about speaking in tongues, but I believe this particular issue of speaking in tongues was indeed other languages. And they were hearing in their own language. And it was amazing. I mean, they were, they were blown away. They're saying, we're, we're in Judea. We're in Jerusalem. They don't speak any of these languages. They're, they're speaking from, from you know, you know uh, our language. And there was not just a few. It was dozens of different ethnic groups from all over the Mediterranean included on that day hearing their own language. That was what God was doing. There were people from from so many different places because it was Passover and then Pentecost. And the idea was to to be a part of of that. And most of the people, a lot of the people that came to Passover would stay the full time through to Pentecost because it might be the once in a lifetime chance that they got to be there at the temple for Passover because they were maybe from Spain or maybe from some other area of, of India or some other place where there was Hebrew communities, but they never got to go to Jerusalem to celebrate. And they heard in their own language. Wow, what an amazing thing. And the birth of the church, as we know. And Peter gets up and preaches. And what does he preach? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what happens at the end of the time? 3,000 people come to the Lord. And there's the start of the church. It doesn't say there were 47 Jews, you know, 57 Jews from Spain. You know, it just says there was 3,000. Another scripture that we frequently go to out of Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where it says, where Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, and it goes on to say that all, there's neither a slave or, or, or a master, there's no male or female in the context of how we look at heaven. Okay, and again, that's an, another one that would say, we don't have these same isms in the kingdom of God that we have in our world. These isms come from creaturism in the garden. Okay? So, for me, the best picture and the presentation is the book of Acts. Like I said, starting with chapter 1, verse 8, going through chapter 2, the beginning of the church. And then we, we look, as we go through the, the, the book of Acts, you, you see uh, Jerusalem and Judea getting pretty well saturated with the, the teachings of Christ. Okay? Now, the majority of the people that are in this vicinity... 
by far and away are Jewish Christians. There's people who have become Christians out of the Jewish faith. And they're taking it to their extended families, their friends, and other places within the framework of Jerusalem and Judea. But Jesus said Jerusalem, Judea, and then he said Samaria. Now, he wanted it to get established and firm in one, one area. But then he said, and then Samaria. Samaria was being ignored. Now, it's interesting that a persecution begins. Paul is the, the source of that persecution. Saul. And, and, and as a result, they were scattered. Guess where they were, some of them went? Samaria. Isn't it interesting? Scattered them at the Tower of Babel because they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Even as, as Christians, they were not being obedient. They were, oh, this is our, we are, our isms are here and we're comfortable here. And they had to go to the half Jew, half heathen people. The ones they despised. They despised them more than people who were pagans that didn't have any Jewish faith at all. The majority of the Samaritans had some form of a Jewish understanding and faith. They were, they, that made them worse as far as the Jews were concerned. Who gets to go? Philip. He starts it off. He goes. And, and while he's preaching in, 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 in Samaria, he also ends up preaching to one lone person on a road to, uh, uh, in, in the desert. He preaches to a, uh, an Ethiopian, one single man, who happens to be in his, in, his, in his cart, in his chariot, riding along reading Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And God puts him right there. I believe miraculously, it puts him right there. And they stop, and he, he's, what are you reading? <laughs> well, I'm reading this. You, I, I don't understand it. Well, let me explain it to you. And he went and he preached the gospel. The guy accepts the Lord. And then he, he realizes, man, from what I just read and what you just said and, and everything we're putting together here, I need to be baptized and make this thing a, 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 a statement. I, this is who I am. And, oh, look, water. Let's do it now. And he got baptized. I ran into a family that the kids were coming to our, our children's program at church. Uh, and really what it was is it gave them the Sunday morning off. And they loved it. Our bus came and picked up their kids and, and they, we kept them until noon. Plus we fed them breakfast and, and they just thought it was great. And, uh, but then we started having little opportunities and stuff. And all of a sudden this one particular family is together and the wife accepts the Lord. About two weeks later, I'm there again, and we're talking, and the husband accepts the Lord. This is on a Thursday afternoon. And, and as we were talking through this, he says, well, what's this baptism stuff? And so I explained baptism is the, is the burial of, uh, you're buried with Christ and raised with Christ. The water is the idea of the grave. And when you're resurrected to walk in a newness of life, I said, now baptism doesn't change anything unless your heart is being changed by God in the first place. So if you've accepted, if you're accepting Christ and you're really sure about that and you want to be baptized, we can do that. And he says, today? And I couldn't help but think of the Ethiopian. Look, there's water. So I went and filled up the baptistry at the church and, and, and a whole bunch of their friends came, almost all of them non-Christians, sat in the first few rows. So I got to preach for about 30 minutes uh, the gospel and baptism, what it was and the significance of it, and then preaching the gospel. And, uh, and then baptized the, the, the wife and, and, the, and the husband. And uh, I guess I didn't drain the baptismal right because there was a, some water left and uh, I was discovered. And I was severely reprimanded. We only baptize after they've come forward on Sunday mornings and that's it. And we only baptize in the Sunday morning service. That's it. And I thought, boy, it's good that the Ethiopian didn't know that. <laughs> you see, they have an ism. They, 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 they're, they're, they have a cultural... It has nothing to do with Scripture. It's a traditionism, if you will. <laughs> okay, This is what we've got to be careful about. 
And, and so we go through this and, and, and we see the Ethiopian baptized. And then we have this amazing time with, uh, with uh, Peter in Acts chapter 10. Philip's been used to open up uh, Samaria, and he's not the only one going in that area. And then, then, and then we're, we're here in, uh, in chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. <laughs> That'd be pretty scary. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have been ascended as, uh, have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging, lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having relayed, uh, related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, Joppa is just south of the Sumerian area. Caesarea is at the north end of the Sumerian area. So Peter's not in Samaria. He's in Joppa. It's a Jewish seaport. Okay? Caesarea is a Samaritan seaport. Now, they gave us a clear description of who this guy is. He's not a Samaritan either. He's not even a half-Jew. He's a God-fearer, which many Romans became. God-fearers, well, they, when they served in the, Roman, uh, in the area of Palestine, they started to, to hear and to understand things about the Jewish way of, of, of God and monotheism, and they started to, to, to go that direction. They could have become a proselyte. He'd have gone through circumcision and other things to, to become that, but obviously he hadn't done that. But he was still faithful, and it says, if we read on in the book of Acts in chapter 10, that the, the Jewish community respected him. They appreciated him. And, 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 of course, his giving, I'm sure, had a lot to do with uh, the impact on that and the, the way he helped with the, 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 the local uh, temple and, and, and all the, the, the synagogue. And so uh, he's, he's there, but it says he's, Ital he's, he's a centurion in the Italian cohort. Okay, you can't be a Saturian of the Italian cohort. The Italian cohort is an elite group. They're a high-ranking group within this framework of Rome. Okay, that's why they got the name Italian cohort. Okay. He, therefore, must be what? Italian. He's, he's, he's from Italy. He's Roman. That's his ancestry. Okay. But he, God gives him a vision. Wait a minute. Is he saved yet? Doesn't say so. In fact, the implication is that he's not. But that he's on the verge of. I want you to know God is the one that opens the doors, opens our eyes, lets us see the things that, are, that need to happen. And that's what he's done with this man. And now he's going to seal it. And the amazing thing he's going to do is he's going to use someone who would never have gone on his own. And so... These three men go en route, and they're on the way to, to Joppa. And now, while it's happening, the next day, it says in chapter 10, verse 9, uh, they were on their journey and, uh, and approaching the city. And Peter went up on the housetop of about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Now, a trance is... A, a thing where there's no distraction. He's very focused. There's nothing distracting him. It's the same context as being in a vision. Okay. In fact, they're probably maybe even considered synonymous in this case. And they saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. 
And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Three times. Sound familiar? Peter has got this thing. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, that's where I recognize in my stubbornness, I'm very much Peter. It's kind of like it takes a multiple impact to get through. But the idea is, is that as he, he gets it, he, he realizes. Now, it says all kinds of animals. Some people think it was just unclean animals. Well, in a sense it was. If you have all kinds of animals together touching each other, then even what would have been a normally clean animal would be unclean for a period of time. So, technically, they are all unclean. But what is in that sheet, it says all kinds of animals. And the idea is, the idea is that God has mingled traditionally clean animals and unclean animals together. That is the picture that comes from this, and we can understand that when we get further down the line as to what God was showing Peter. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright God and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest. Peter invites them to come in and be his guest. These are Gentiles that he's invited into his home to be his guest. There's two things, by the way, I want you to draw attention to here. That's not typically what a, a Hebrew would do. So we see that, that, that Peter is beginning to catch on. Also, Peter is staying at a particular house that no Hebrew would stay at. Even though it might be a Jewish person's home, he would not be, he, he would not be able to be clean until he'd been away from his house I can't remember what the number of amount of time was before he would be able to go to the temple and present something because he is a tanner. He is a killer of animals and touches the blood and, and gets involved. And if you touch a dead animal, you're unclean for a certain period of time. This was his life. He did this every day. And Peter was staying in his home. So Peter is loosening up a little bit. Get that picture. You know, this is, it's not like he went from boom, boom. You know, but the idea is, is that God is using Peter in mighty way. And, and as, as he goes on, he says, you know, invites them in, and he says, The next day Peter rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So some of the other Jewish Christians went with him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expe- expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Another nation. Anything other than Jew. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And for the third time, we hear about the vision of Cornelius. Now, I think it's an interesting thing that within a framework of, of, of one chapter, we hear this vision three times. It's not insignificant. God wants it to settle in our heads. This is something that happened and how important it is. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard 
And your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging at the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And he's basically saying, what is what is what is the basis of of your faith? What has God commanded you? Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him, God, and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit, uh, with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were opposed, uh, oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as, his, as witnesses, who are in who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Got to stop there. They what with him? They ate and they drank with him. We're talking about a physical, bodily resurrection. And I've heard teachings say the teachings of Jesus were resurrected. The spirit of Jesus was resurrected, but it wasn't a physical bodily resurrection. Come from pastors preaching in churches with Christ on the on the on the door panel in some form or another. The reality is, he bodily, physically rose. He ate with them in in the upper room. He ate with them at the seashore. He you know he was touched. They could touch him and feel and know that he was real. And Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, uh, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So he preached the gospel to Cornelius and his household. The idea of the, of the crowd of people that were probably there was a significant number of people. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Hard for them to get past that, even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So that means that Peter stayed there and continued to teach for a while. What an amazing account of God opening up the church to the rest of the world. That's what happened here. And we see it in the rest of the book of Acts as the missionaries start going out and they're going all over the Mediterranean as far as Spain and possibly clear into uh, uh, India and, and uh, western China and into that area of, the, of today. And what we've heard from people who are archaeologists in Japan, they found a, a, a temple that called the, the Temple of Light in, northern, in the northern Japan area. And they were thinking, well, it's one of these Buddhist temples, da, 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 whatever. And they have found out that it's a Christian temple. And they think it might be late first century. The gospel went out. These people got serious. God opened the door and He did it miraculously. He talked to Cornelius first and He talked to Peter first and then He brings them together. He orchestrated the whole thing. 
so that it would happen exactly the way it needed to happen for the door to open. And that's what happened. Amazing picture. And I I can't imagine what it must have been like for Peter and for the rest of the Jewish people with him who saw God act and have a day of Pentecost for the Gentiles. What happened? I don't think these were meant to be normal events. I think they were special occasions. And an amazing thing happens. They all accept the Lord. They are all baptized. Now, this isn't part of my message intended to be, but I realized to complete it, I, I need to look at the last few, the first few verses of chapter 11. And I'll, I'll wind up with these. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were, with, uh, who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, by the way, even though he was coming south, you always go up to Jerusalem. That's the Hebrew culture. That's where the temple is. Therefore, everything is up to it, no matter where it is. So if you're coming from the west, east, north, south, you're going up to Jerusalem. And you'll see that in Scripture all the time. So he's going up to Jerusalem. The circumcision party criticized him. Now, you notice it's a circumcision party. None of these... Gentiles, none of the men had been circumcised. That was the way you became a, a, a Jewish person. And what was going on was, and we still see this going on, it wasn't resolved until a couple more chapters of Acts, uh, and happening in various churches where Jewish people were holding on to this tradition of Judaism that was no longer a part. He said the circumcision was always meant to separate you from the rest of the people to keep a lineage of Christ pure. There's all sorts of things that go with that. But the idea was that they had, you know, our tradition says you must be circumcised. And they hadn't been circumcised. And so they're called the party of the circumcision. And they criticized Paul saying... You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to it to them in order. <laughs> I was in the city of Joppa, goes on, <laughs> and I'm not going to go through all of that. Uh, and, and he explains the visions that he hold, has and, and then he, how the men showed up at his house. And he said, uh, Cornelius, when I saw him, had told us how he'd seen the angel and, and he, uh, that we would declare to him a message and they would be saved. And so he goes on, I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, verse 15 of chapter 11, just as on us at the beginning. Just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was... I. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the, the, you know, the, the picture that I, I want you to see was that God was opening the door to all isms out there, if you will. All of the different nations, all the different ethnic groups, they weren't concerned about that. The Ethiopian was one ethnic group. Cornelius is another completely different ethnic group. Neither one of them having anything to do with, with Christ initially in the sense of being saved. God was doing a work and, and, and he was making sure that what he asked for would happen. That it would go to the ends of the world. To the ends of the earth. 
And so, God, He looks at it and He sees His church made up of every person who has confessed with the mouth and believes in his heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Everyone that's heard the word preached, it goes on to talk in Romans in, in chapter 10 after those verses 9 and 10, that you know, we've, that someone was sent. Blessed is he who was sent to bring the good news, you know, the feet of him who brings the good news. And, and, and they heard. How important it is that we only don't only hear it here, but when given the opportunity, someone out there hears it. And it doesn't mean we have to go and be belligerent, but just pray for the opportunity. Pray for the eyes of God to see around you. And that God would open your eyes to see someone that might need to hear some good news. But the picture is God will open the doors. God is the one that does the work. We don't save anybody. God does it. God opens their eyes. God opens their heart. God opens their mind. He uses us to do it. And to me, that is the most amazing part of it. I look at it as I see this and how God was changing Peter. And I think of how he's changed me and how he's changed so many of you in your lifetime as you walked and understand the things of God. And, and, and you realize how awesome it is that what God has done is he's invited us to participate in the work of the kingdom. Does God need our tithe? He owns everything. It's already His. He gave it to us. And He says, give 10% back. In fact, it, 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 in some cases, it was give as much as you can back. Which might be less than 10%, might be more than 10%. Give back. Why? So the work of the kingdom can be done. Why does God need this? for the? Because we're participating in it. We're participating by making our own very small sacrifices to be a part of it. And we send money to, to missionaries. We send money over, uh, you know, to, to hospitals. We send money to different places. And we become part of the gospel doing this. He's invited us to participate. And Peter says, be ready to participate at a personal level. I know I'm paraphrasing this, out of, but... The idea is to be ready to participate at a personal level and share the testimony that's in you when somebody asks. Put it before God. Lord, I'm willing to be asked. Prepare my heart to give an answer. As we go into communion, we're, we, every time we share communion, we share everything that has been shared over and over and over again by Peter. And that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that He's coming again. And so as we share in communion, keep that in mind and, and then just keep in mind the awesomeness of who God is and that He has a plan and it will be completed. And by the way, according to First Philippians, or Philippians chapter 1, He has started a work in you. He started a work in me. And he says, I will complete it. He will bring it to completion. But Lord, I stumble, I fall. I will raise you up. I never abandon you. I will never leave you. There's nothing that can separate you. Romans 8. As a result, there's no condemnation to those who believe. And we share communion in the context of being saved in Jesus Christ. Ask the ushers to come forward, pass the communion out, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had taken and given thanks, He broke it. And He said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it and remember it to Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. Once again this morning, we come with hearts of gratitude for the grace that You have lavished out on us. The longer we walk with you, the more clear it becomes of what we deserve and more amazed at what you have blessed us with. And we ask, Lord, that that would continue to just amaze us, enthrall us, and bless us, and draw us close to you. And Lord, allow us to be in some way on a daily basis a testimony to your grace in our home, at our workplace, somewhere, somehow. And, and, and you tell us that, that to walk in a manner worthy. Lord, we can only do that by the indwelling of Your Holy Spirit. And, and we ask that You would continually fill us with Your Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us to continually be filled with Your Holy Spirit that we might walk with You in the way You would have us walk. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close? We've got some refreshments in the back if you have time to visit for a little while. Lord bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church, and we need your power in us. We seek your kingdom first, we hunger and we thirst, we refuse to waste our lives. For your, our joy and prize To see the captive hearts released The hurt, the sick, the poor at peace We lay down our lives for heaven's cause And we are your church We pray revive this earth and build your kingdom here let the darkness fear show your mighty hand heal our streets and land set your church on fire win this nation back change the atmosphere Build your kingdom here, we pray. Unleash your kingdom's power. Unleash your kingdom's power. Reaching the near and far. No force of hell can stop. Your beauty changing hearts. You made us for much more than this. Awake the kingdom seed in us. Fill us with the strength and love of Christ. And we are your church. We are the hope on earth. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here, we pray.